0: Welcome to the Calvary Assembly podcast with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. We've been going through a series here called In Christ. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, just kind of passage by passage. Pastor Kenny did a great job last two weeks ago. Uh, last week, Pastor Vivian shared. And so uh, I'm going to share this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have the UVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, if you open that up and hit that little, the three dots and hit uh, events, it'll show up there. You may have typed in the zip code, but it'll show up on all the notes and the passages are in there. Um, I read a story about a lady who was making a cake for her church's uh, bake sale she was new in the community she was a single mom and she was trying to kind of get plugged into a local church and so she said yeah I'll make a cake for this bake sale that you're doing well as happens sometimes she forgot until the morning of uh, the bake sale was at 9:30. she woke up and realized she hadn't made a cake so she scrounged through the cabinets found an angel food cake so while she was getting her her son ready for scouts uh, she put the cake together put it in the oven and she kind of forgot about it And she came back, and the whole cake had sunk in the middle. You know how angel food does that sometimes, especially when you have kids stomping around the house. Uh, The cake fell, and so she thought, oh, my word, what am I going to do now? I don't have time to go to the store and buy a cake. And so she said, I'll find something that will fit in the middle, and I'll just frost over it, and it'll look fine. So she scrambled around the house. She found a roll of toilet paper, and it fit perfect. She shoved the toilet paper roll right in the middle of the angel food cake, put frosting over it. It looked awesome. It looked better than any cake she'd ever made. So she sent her daughter with it. She said, as soon as the sale opens, buy this cake. Don't let anybody else, if you have to wrestle for it, get it, right? And so she took her kid to Scouts. Her daughter showed up at 930, and guess what? The cake was gone. So she called her mom and said, I don't know who got it, but somebody took this cake with your name on it, and it's gone. And so the mom thought, oh, my word, what do I do now? So all day she worried. All that night she worried. So the next day she went to a baby shower or a bridal shower at this lady's house. And the lady was kind of a snob, you know, those that kind of looked down on her because she was a single mom and she was new and she really didn't want to go, but she thought, I can't find an excuse not to go. So she shows up at this party and it's all kind of the upscale people from town, all the influencers in town show up. And so they're sitting down to dinner and out comes her cake as a dessert. And she thought, Oh, this is going to be so bad. And so uh, the, one of the, the upper crust ladies said, what a lovely cake. And she started to get up and say something, and the hostess said, thank you, I made it myself. And so she just kind of sat back down and said, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure they got real interesting, right? Well, how many of you know, sometimes relationships in churches can be a little complicated. How many of you guys have ever been offended by someone in the church? Maybe not this church, but just a church. Yeah? I'll put both of mine up, right? How many of you have ever offended someone else in church? All right? Uh, I've done my share. Sometimes, mostly non-intentionally, but you know, things happen. And so in the book of Ephesians, if you weren't here the first week when we kind of showed our little recap video, Paul was writing to the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a really important port city at the time. It was a very metropolitan city. It had a lot of people that had moved in from different areas. And the church was new. And so the church in Ephesus was made up of Jewish people who had given their lives to Christ and come into the church. And Gentiles who were non-Jewish people who had come in and found Christ. And they're all kind of mixed in together. And not only did you have Jews and Gentiles, but you also had people from all different nations who had come together in Ephesus. Ephesus was the home of a a temple to the, the goddess Artemis. They made a lot of money off tourism from this temple. It's you know, one of the seven wonders of the world. They made a lot of money selling idols of Artemis. And so in the church in Ephesus, you had people who grown up Jewish who had been told, don't ever associate with Gentiles. And now they were because they were all together where? In Christ, which is why we called the series In Christ, right? And you had these Gentiles who were just new, who didn't have a Jewish background, And so you got all these people kind of piled together. So in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul's been talking to the people about here's who you are now in what? Christ. You have new life in Christ. You are new. You're different. You're one. And and several times he talks about how this incredible thing happened when people gave their lives to Christ. He says he's made you all one in Christ you have a new life. He spent a lot of time talking about the riches that we have in Christ. We have this new faith. We have a new home in heaven. We have all these things in Christ. And so that's what we spent the last several weeks, I think this is the seventh message, talking about who we are in Christ. And today is Palm Sunday. So we hand you to these branches and, you know, some people kind of wave them during worship. You know, you can wave it during the message. If your neighbor falls asleep, you can poke them. Uh, Don't use the They're kind of sharp on the stump, so don't use the stub. I don't know if that's called the stub or whatever. Use the part. But anyway, the stem. Thank you. Stem. Science class worked for me, right? But don't poke with the stem. But what I want you to do is when you take these palm branches home, I want you to, every time you see it, I want you to think about what Christ has done. Because that's what Palm Sunday was, right? Jesus was getting ready to change Everything. And that's what we've been doing in Ephesians. Paul's talking about how Jesus changed everything. So when you see this palm branch, and those of you who are at home who didn't, go grab a stick off a tree if you want. And think about what Jesus did on Palm Sunday and what Jesus is about to do. So now we're into chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, and Paul starts to get really practical. The first three chapters, he's been saying, this is who you are now in Jesus. Now in chapter 4, he starts saying, this is how you live this thing out. Because how many of you know that's the hardest part? It's easy to give our lives to Jesus and ask him to forgive our sins and start this new life. It's a lot harder to walk this thing out around people, right? Church is is a unique place because we're all together, all generations, all ages, all races. We're all together in Jesus, and we're trying to figure out how to walk this thing out. So in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, this is what Paul says. So in the last part of Ephesians chapter 3, one of my very favorite verses in all Scripture, one of the ones that really changed my life. I'm going to start there. It's not on the screen, but context, right? Paul says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than all we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And amen. So Paul is saying God is able to do more in you than you can even what? ask or imagine he needs to get glory now through the church now in verse 1 Paul says therefore because of what Christ can do in you therefore this is what he says I a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God who's he talking to all of us right have you all been called yes you guys are a little sleepy today He has called all of us to follow him. He's called all of us to do something in Christ. He's called all of us to live our lives out. And Paul says, do it in such a way that brings honor to him. Live a life worthy of your calling, right? I had this for last week, so there's still Spanish on there too. So if you speak both languages, you're set. So then he says, always be humble and gentle. Be, what is that word? Patient. Don't we love that word? Be patient with one another. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Hmm. And he says this, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and living in and through all. Paul says that we're supposed to live together in what? Unity. We're supposed to be patient with each other because of our love. Is that easy to do? Do people ever irritate you? Have I ever irritated you? Yeah. Right? Right? So we're all together. We're going to irritate one another because we're living together in unity. So we have to learn how to live with each other. We have to learn how to forgive. And guys, if you're, and I'm just going to throw this out here, if you're looking to be offended, you're in the right place. Because anytime we live with other people, we're going to be offended. Someone is going to say something to you, whether intentionally or unintentionally. They might see something They might not notice you. They might not notice your new haircut or your new dress or your new shoes or your new car. They may not notice that you did something. You're going to get offended. And guys, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is what? Offense. Satan uses offense more than probably anything else. He gets us offended. He gets us, our feelings hurt. And he uses that to bring division. So Paul is saying, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling and put up with each other. So that word unity, what does it mean, the characteristics of unity? Now, please understand this. We have to understand that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not all being the same. We can be unified and be different, right? Right? Because we're not the same. God didn't call us to be the same. God did not call you to be the same as anyone else. You know, probably the one thing I've been told more than anything else since I've been a pastor, you're different. People tell me that all the time. You're not like any other pastor I've ever met. And I said, thank you, I think. You know, it's just weird. I hear all the, I had a guy just the other day came in and sat down and wanted to talk to me, and he said, you're really different. I said, thank you, I think. <laughs> I could be offended, but I choose not to. I choose to take it as a compliment, right? So unity is not uniformity. Unity comes from inside. Uniformity is from outside pressure. So guys, God is not calling you to be the same as everyone else. He's calling you to be the person he has made you to be. He's calling you to use the gifts and abilities and gifts he's given you to further his kingdom. So you don't have to be the same as everyone else. It's okay to be different. So unity requires what? Well, first it requires humility. Unity requires humility. It means I have to think less of myself. It means I have to be willing to put others first. It means I have to be willing to forgive. I love this line. It says, unity is a grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. Sorry, humility. See, I said the wrong word. Humility. Humility is one of those things if you know you have it, you probably don't have it. You know, there's a line in the Old Testament, I think it was in Deuteronomy, it said, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. I don't think Moses wrote that. I think somebody added that later. Because he's really the most humble man on the face of the earth. You're not going to write your most humble man on the face of the earth, right? So there were people that came in and helped a little bit later. And I love this. So, you know, guys, sometimes we think humility is thinking that we're no good. That is not what humility is. Humility is having an accurate view of ourselves and being willing to put others in front of ourselves. I found a great line in one of the commentaries. It says this, God does not condemn you when you accept yourself and your gifts. He just doesn't want us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, or less highly than we ought to. And I'll be honest, guys, that's something I struggle with a lot, is not thinking less of myself than I should. Because it's so easy to do what? Compare ourselves to others, Right? It's easy to look at others and say, man, I wish I could sing like that person. I wish I could play an instrument like that person. I wish I had as much money as that person. I wish I was as smart as they were, as good-looking as they were, as funny as they are. It's easy to compare ourselves with others. But guys, all God is asking us to do is use what we have to the best of our ability and accept the giftings and the the talents that he's given us. To be the person he's called us to be, that's what he wants us to do, and it requires humility. Humility. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said this, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better off than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. He didn't say measure yourself by what someone else can do or has done. He said, use the faith God has given you and evaluate yourselves right. So we have to be willing to love others and put others first and see ourselves as we really are. So unity requires humility. And it requires gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Please understand that. Gentleness is not rolling over all the time. Gentleness is power under control. How many of you know Jesus was the most gentle person in the world, but he also flipped tables? Jesus was gentle and humble. Kids loved him, kids came to him all the time, but Jesus also made a whip and chased people out of the temple. Jesus stood up to the religious elite. He called them some really great names, right? Whitewashed tombs, pits of vipers. I mean, he let them have it. One of the best descriptions I've ever heard of Jesus was velvet-covered steel. Velvet-covered steel. They said when you brushed up against him, he was soft. But when you butted up against him, you realize there was substance there. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be gentle. We stand for what we know and what we believe, but we love others. And we forgive others. The Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, the word used for gentle was like a soothing medicine or a colt that had been broken or a soft wind. Each had incredible power, but it was power under control. And, you know, there are times that we're really tempted when someone offends us to do what? Retaliate, lash out, or go all passive-aggressive and put things on Facebook about them, right? Right? But that's not what gentleness is. Gentleness is saying, I know I could destroy that person's reputation, but I will forgive instead. I will have an accurate view of myself. And as the church, we have to be willing to let go of drama, to let go of our entitlement to be offended. We have to be gentle. And then we have to be patient. The word patience really means long-suffering or long-tempered. Right? There are people that are going to hurt us. And and guys, I can tell you, if I've offended you, I apologize. If the Bible has offended you, I can't apologize. Right? And there are going to be people who are going to be offended by your lifestyle. You don't have to apologize for that. If you say, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you, but I'm not going to do the things you might want me to do. But I'm not going to offend you on purpose. And again, we're not going to be offended. As a Christian, we have to often give up our right to be offended. We have to be patient, and unity requires forgiveness. Paul says we have to make allowances for each other's faults because of our what? Love. Because of our love. We have to be willing to do that. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says love is patient and kind. In verse 3 that we read, it says, Make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the Spirit, binding your lives together with peace. Unity requires effort. How many of you know it's hard to work together with people? We have to put in effort. Guys, being a part of a church family takes work, but it's totally worth it, isn't it? How many of you have ever had a really rough week, and you come to church and someone encourages you, or they pray for you, or they send you a message that said, hey, I'm praying for you today, and just makes your day, right? It takes effort, but it's worth it. It's totally worth it to be a part of a church body, a church family. I saw a, a quote. There was an older Christian, and uh, he was talking to a young couple who just gotten married. And this guy had been married forever and ever and ever. And so they said, what's your best piece of advice? He said, it's great that you love each other, but if you're going to be happy in marriage, you have to work at it. You have to work at it. And again, if we want to be a, a part of a church family, we're going to we're gonna have to work at it. That means we have to let things go. We have to forgive We have to put in the effort and the time. And it's a present participle. When he says effort, it it means we keep making efforts. And then unity requires peace. Having peace means forgiving, having patience, putting in the effort. All those together is peace. I want to read you from James chapter 3. It will be on the screen. This is from the Message Translation. I love the way he he writes. And I love James. Man, I love the book of James because James just kind of lays it out there, doesn't he? He's just like, if you don't like it, tough. But here's what he says. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Let me read that again. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you're wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. You ever been in a church that's like that? I have. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it to keep it inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and you risk violence to get your hands on it. Wow. That's James basically retelling what Paul said here. Guys, if we want to live together in a church family, and we do, guys, we want us together. We have to be willing to forgive. We have to be willing to be patient. We have to be willing to be humble. We have to be willing to put in the work, not to be offended. I found a quote that says, If a believer can't get along with God, he can't get along with other believers. When the peace of God rules in our hearts, then we build unity. And, guys, that's what we want, and that's what people see, and that's why things are like unity inside the church are so important because what is the world doing right now? They're at each other's throats, aren't they? Everybody's offended by everything, right? I remember when I was a kid, when I grew up, you know what I heard all the time? Tough. If you don't like it, suck it up. That's what I was told, right? But today, everybody's offended, They're offended about everything. They're offended about being offended. And it's seeping into the church. Guys, we have to make sure that we stay together in unity. And when people who don't know Christ come in the doors of the church and they see unity, you know what they see? They see something different. They see Jesus in us. Because Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples if you what? Love one another. It's so important for people to see Jesus in us and see us getting, not just getting along, but being unified. So what's the basis of unity? Unity is the fact, and this is what Paul tells us, is built on the fact that we're one body and we have one spirit in Christ. We have one body and one spirit in Christ. That's what was happening in the church in Ephesus. People who were Gentiles, people who were Jewish, people who were from Jerusalem, people who were from outside Israel, were all coming together and becoming one in Christ. That's what Paul talks about all over and over in the book of Ephesians. God has made you what? One. We belong to the local body of Christ, but we also belong to the larger body of Christ. You know, I'll tell you when this really became real to me. You guys, when I was first married, I think it was 2002, I went on a mission trip to Russia. And we were helping uh, build a building, rebuild a building. They had uh, gotten a hold of an old Soviet hall and they were turning it into a church. And someone had set off a bomb inside the building. And so we were rebuilding it, putting it together. But we had just got off the plane. We were wiped out. I mean, we were so tired from the flight and it was so cold. Like the missionaries said, that's not very cold here. And we got there and we froze because he was acclimated. We weren't. We were from Missouri. We didn't know what cold was. And so we were freezing and it was snowing in October which, you know, I'd never seen in Missouri, right? And so we were walking to the church. And it's just as we got off the plane and said, hey, we're going to go to church service. And we're like, oh, my word. All we want to do is go to bed. But we went in there, and it was freezing, and there was like a, a, a witch doctor that was following us, cursing us in Russian the whole time we were walking to the church. It was a great day. But So we got there, and we got inside the, the movie theater they were using for a church, and there was no heat because in Russia at that time, the government controlled the heat. And they said, it's not cold enough to have heat yet. So we were freezing the worship team was up there in coats and they had gloves on and you know we just had our little jackets and had our hands on our armpits you know trying to stay warm and we started singing worship songs and we were singing shout to the lord i remember the song the old hill song song they were singing in russian we were singing in english and we were all together it was amazing it was one of the coolest moments i've ever had as a christian because i realized we are what we're one and even though they didn't speak a word of english i didn't speak a word of russian we were able to you know, high-five, and we couldn't shake hands because they all had thick gloves on, and my fingers were numb. So, but we were like high-fiving each other, hugging each other, because we realized we belong to the same Christ. We have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that was an amazing thing for me, and that's what Paul saying to them. We have unity because of Jesus. We may think differently. We may have different ideas, but we belong... Together, we have the same unity in us, and that's why we're willing to be unified with one another. Unity is also built on the fact that we have one hope. We're all focused on the same hope. In chapter 1, in verse 13, Paul said, Now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and he has purchased us to be his own people We belong to Him. We have one hope. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we all have one hope in Christ. So we have that hope. And unity is built on the fact that we have one Lord and one faith. We all serve the same Lord. And so we have to learn how to get along. (laughs) Because we're all one, right? We're all one in Christ. So we have to be willing to get along with one another. And like I said, Paul is getting very practical Gandhi, you guys, many of you have heard of, I can't remember his first name, but it's Gandhi. He was the spiritual leader of India. He was a Hindu. And so someone came up to him, a, a pastor of a local church came up to him. They said, hey, what's the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? And you know what he said? Christians. Christians are the greatest impedance to Christianity growing because they can't get along. And guys, so many times... We're trying to build the church of Jesus, and we're trying to, to build the kingdom. And you know what the biggest hindrance is? Christians. Because we don't get along with one another. We get offended. We carry grudges. And it breaks the unity of the church. And people, guys, when people see everyone at each other's throats out in the world, and they come into church and see the same thing, they don't want a part of that. said, so I can do that from home in my pajamas. Right? I could be watching baseball or football instead of here. Listen to you guys fight with one another. And so we have to be willing to love one another. Love one another. And unity is built on the fact that we have one God and one Father. Paul said he's over all, living all, through all. We have to give him access to our lives. And when we do, when we put Jesus first, we're going to be unified together as the body. And so, guys, what does this mean? What do I... What do I do to put this into practice? Well, first, I have to be willing to love one another, right? I have to be willing to practice unity. And what did Paul say that was? Humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, peace. I have to be willing to put in the work. As you might be here this morning, you might be saying, you know, one of those words really hit me hard. One of those words really kind of stuck out to me. Maybe I I think a little more of myself than I should. Maybe... I'm not willing to put others before myself. Maybe maybe we need to work on patience. I think we all need to work on patience. And when we pray for patience, God's going to send people in your life to help you with patience. Right? He's going to send people, maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member, maybe yourself. But we have to work on these things. And we have to be willing to remember that we have one body, one hope, one spirit. We're all one in Christ. And so, guys, I don't know if you're here today and and maybe you're carrying a hurt from a church member. Maybe you're carrying a hurt from a pastor, a board member. Someone said something to you, someone didn't say something to you. But you've been hurt. Are you willing to let that go? Are you willing to forgive to build unity? Because it wasn't God that hurt you, He was a person. And people hurt other people. And here's the biggest thing, guys. People who are hurt hurt others. If I'm carrying hurt around in my heart, if I'm carrying bitterness around in my heart, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to hurt someone else. And oftentimes we blame God for that. So are we willing to let those things go? Are we willing to apologize if we are the ones that hurt someone else? You may be sitting here today and you know that you have a beef with someone and you've said something hurtful to them. Are you willing to apologize? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'll tell you one story. I remember years and years and years ago, I was hurt by a leader in the church. I was, I was on staff, and they had done something intentional to hurt me. And so I was talking with a friend of mine who was a, a minister in another denomination, and we were just kind of talking. He kind of knew the story, and I said, you know, I'm— I really feel convicted. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to tell that person that I forgive them. And he said, you don't need to send a letter telling me forgive them. I said, you need to send a letter apologizing to them. I said, are you insane? Do you know what they did? He said, yeah, I do. But I also know you've been carrying that hurt around for over a year. I said, you need to apologize to them for carrying that hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> That hurt. And so I said, well, I'll I'll pray about that. He said, yeah, you do that. (laughs) And I did. And guess what God told me? I needed to apologize. And God said, I'll tell you what. I never heard back from that person. I sent him a letter. It was a pretty long letter. And I apologized. I never heard back from them. But you know what that did for me? It released me. God started working in my heart more because I released that hurt that I've been carrying around that I didn't realize I had until I allowed God to show me so I'm going to ask you to stand if you're physically able this morning And we're going to pray together So Lord I thank you for Number one for your grace I thank you for forgiving us I thank you that you rode into that city on Palm Sunday Knowing full well what was in store for you Lord you knew the pain You knew the hurt You knew the anguish that was coming But you did that for each and every one of us You did that so you could forgive us so you could offer that forgiveness. You could offer your life as a sacrifice. So Lord, if there are any of us here, any of us watching online today that have never received that grace, never began that personal relationship with you by asking your forgiveness, Lord, would you show us that today?